Well, this morning, as we come back to the Word of God, uh, this past week has provided us no shortage of reminders that we are indeed in spiritual warfare. And as I look at the nation around us, I can tell you this, while we have seen both the Democratic and the Republican National Convention take place, and certainly I think there is one side that is much more friendly to Christian values than the other. In fact, I don't even think that's close. Um, But regardless of what the outcome is, let me just say this, regardless of what the outcome is, it is my belief that I think this nation is headed towards civil war. And so if there's ever a time in which we need to be prepared as Christians, there has never been a better time. We need to understand the war that is coming because, as we have seen, the church has been targeted as a part of all that has been going on this year. We have seen in the state of Nevada that churches are not allowed to reopen beyond a certain number, whereas casinos are able to operate without those same restrictions. I was just reminded this morning that people are allowed to fly on airplanes with all the seats completely occupied, and they can sit on those airplanes for five to six hours flying coast to coast, but they're not allowed to show up at a church service and sit for an hour and a half and hear the Word of God. So make no mistake that while we are not enduring the kind of physical persecution that churches have endured in the past, nevertheless, we are being targeted, and this is a test of our faith. And as I have told many other people, that a lot of people are using the command to love thy neighbor in order not to meet. Now, we're not going to meet because we want to love thy neighbor, and I certainly appreciate that commandment. That's the second greatest commandment. But to love thy neighbor, we need to connect that to the first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so you can't assess how to love your neighbor independent of loving the Lord your God. And so what I would say to a lot of people that use that kind of reasoning is that I believe the best way you can love your neighbor is actually to show that worship matters. To show that the worship of our God is absolutely essential. We do not operate by the rules of the world. And because we do not operate by the rules of the world, we have a different hope that the world does not have. And so that is part of our testimony together as the church. But as we go back into Ephesians, we are going to get into the armor of God part three. And I'm looking at Ephesians chapter six and probably going to be verses 12 to 13. We might get into verse 14 if we have time. But as has been the case the last couple of weeks, my purpose here is to prepare us for battle in the spiritual war so that Christ may be glorified in us. And that really is the most important purpose. Because no matter what happens to the church, no matter what happens to us individually, we have a long line of history where we know people have been martyred for the faith. We have a long history where people have been willing to put their life on the line in order to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, there are communist countries that you can see just through the news about how Christians are being persecuted, as well as those who are in the Middle East. But God is sovereign. He is totally in control, and He is going to be glorified through all of those situations. And regardless of what happens in this nation, what we want to be sure is that we as the church stand tall and firm upon God's promises and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as part of this outline that we've been going through over the last couple of weeks, this being our third, Paul exhorts us to battle with four essential realities needed for Christian warfare. Four essential realities needed for Christian warfare. And I'll go ahead and review the first few points that we had covered in the last couple of weeks. The first was the call to strength in verse 10. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we saw this command, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And so we saw there with the words, finally, Paul is bringing this letter to a conclusion. Everything that he has taught us in the book of Ephesians has been leading to this conclusion, to this climax. And so this is not disconnected from everything that he has commanded us. Rather, this is the culmination of everything that he has commanded us. That in all that we do, and remember the central command of Ephesians is found in chapter 4, verse 1. That you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. 
And that calling was described to us through chapters 1 to 3. The wonderful blessings, the plan of redemption, the salvation that God gave to us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin. But God, because of His great love with which He loved us, He made us alive together again with Christ. And so we're reminded as we get to this verse, this is the culmination of everything that Paul is trying to communicate in Ephesians. And so the spiritual war is really what we are being prepared for with all that God is teaching us in His Word. But to be strong in the Lord, the command to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, that is a command from God to us. That is our responsibility to be strong. And yet we are reminded, as I told you, that in the Greek this is a passive verb meaning that you are to be strengthened. So you are not the source of the strengthening. You are to take action, but you are not the source of the strengthening. The source of the strengthening comes from God Himself. But you take action by walking with God, by being obedient to what God has called us to, by recognizing the spiritual war, by being prepared, and that's what this passage is all about. Be strong, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Because as we have seen and will be reminded over and over again, this spiritual war is far more powerful than we can fight alone in our own strength. In fact, the forces of darkness are far more powerful than all the believers put together if they try to fight this in their own strength. That's why Paul here emphasizes for us to be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Paul emphasizes the power of God that must be working through us. And yet we are to take action as well. And that led us into the second exhortation. The second exhortation was the method of preparation. So it's one thing to say, be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of His might. The question is how, and that is answered in the second section at the start of verse 11. It's to put on the full armor of God. But to put on the full armor, that full armor is the armor of a foot soldier. And I had used the illustration of people in the military in the past few weeks. People who go into the military, when they go out into the battlefield, they aren't just recruited and then sent straight into battle. They must pass various restrictions. They must be able to meet certain standards. They must go through rigorous training, physical and mental they must learn how to operate as a team, how to follow orders, how to respond to conflict on the field. They must operate as a unit. And so for us, we are being told to put on the full armor of God, but this armor is not a physical armor. It is a spiritual armor. It is for the spiritual war. And each one of us as Christians, no matter what physical shape you're in, can be prepared for battle. This is a command to all of us. This is not a command to just individuals, but us as a church. Put on the full armor of God. And then that brought us to the third section, which we covered last week, which was the purpose of that armor. The purpose of that armor. We are to put on the full armor of God, and at the end of verse 11, so that you will be able to stand firm. And that phrase, stand firm, as we will see, is repeated multiple times in these passages. And whenever you see words or phrases repeated multiple times, you should take note, because that is what the writer is trying to emphasize. And to stand firm is this idea of defensive posture, that you are being rooted to the ground and you will not be moved. You are defending against forces that are coming against you. But it's not just to stand firm by itself, but it's to stand firm, as we see at the end of verse 11, against these schemes of the devil. Schemes, these are methods, these are plans, these are strategies that Satan takes up against us. And Satan, as we understand from Scripture, is nothing like the way Satan is portrayed often in the world. He's not wearing a suit, he doesn't look like some hideous monster. He actually looks very much like you and me. And we see and we are reminded just the many names that we saw of Satan. He is called Satan. He is called devil, serpent, dragon, adversary, the enemy. He is called the prince of the power of the air. We saw that in the book of Ephesians. He is called the evil one. He is called Beelzebub, Belial, the father of lies, a murderer, the tempter, and a deceiver. 
we see even in those names many of the strategies that he takes up upon us. But we went through actually 10 different passages to be reminded in Scripture exactly how he operates, exactly what he does in order to wound you in this spiritual battle, in order to actually take you off the battlefield if he can and make you useless. And in some cases, he might use you to help lead others astray. You don't want to be in that camp. You want to be useful for battle. You want to be able to stand up strong and know that you're being used by God in spiritual warfare. And I cannot emphasize this enough because many of us don't understand the spiritual war and just how serious it is. Many of us don't understand the ways in which Satan actually attacks us. And even as you're looking at that list right now, I actually added two at the very end. There were ten that we covered, the two at the bottom. One is that Satan also seeks to distract us from God's will. But we saw he uses deception, cursing God, lying, murder, unforgiveness, anger, anxiety. He blinds the people, people of this world to the gospel. He provides false gospels. He twists God's truth. He's constantly accusing the saints. And the two that I added was he also distracts us from God's will. And he also encourages us to pursue worldliness and really our own self-desires, lusts, that lead us to following after him. And we'll take a look at some of those passages once again. But these are the schemes of Satan. We have to be aware of them. And by the way, these are not just the exclusive list. This is not the only way that Satan operates. These are just the examples that we saw in Scripture. And in fact, I will show you more examples as we continue on this morning. Well, that brings us to the fourth reality, the fourth exhortation, I should say. And the fourth exhortation is the reality of the war, the reality of the war. And so as we look at verse 12, Paul starts off with the word for. And when he says for, this is to explain the reason why for what he had just said. We had seen in verse 11, he said, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Why? This is the reason why in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me say that again. This is so important, especially in these times when you look at all the headlines. You see all the divisions. You see all the arguments that are going on. You see all the accusations. Some of the things you can see on TV or online can make your blood boil. But that's when you have to remember that our struggle, and the word for struggle is the same word used for wrestlers when they're wrestling with one another. But this is saying that our struggle, for our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not unbelievers. That's the mission field. Those are the people we need to be evangelizing. Those are the people we need to be praying for. And we recognize their hardness of heart towards the gospel. But God can overcome any level of hardness of heart. Just ask the Apostle Paul. And so we continue to be a witness. We continue to be an example. We continue to be light and salt upon this world so that the world can see what it means to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to remember that we are not struggling against men. We are struggling in a spiritual sense. So that should help you to look past the people who appear to be your enemies and recognize that they are following after the prince of the power of the air. They're following after the world. And the only way that we can represent God, the only way we can participate is to trust in His strength. Now, I want to encourage you that there is no way that the forces of darkness will win. Amen? We already know the end. We know that Jesus Christ will return. We know that there will come a final judgment, and we know that for those of you who have put your faith into the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life to look forward to. That can never be taken away. And just the testimony of the Old Testament and all the prophecies that it has about the Messiah and the fact that each one of those prophecies have been fulfilled in the first coming, despite the best efforts of Satan, that testimony, the fact that God was able to bring about the work of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, proves to us that what God says will happen is exactly what will happen. 
And so we know there is a victory. But the question is, will you be able to glorify God in that victory or not? Will you be useful or will you be useless? How will God use you? And so we have to remember, first of all, that when we struggle, we are not struggling against flesh and blood. So if we're not struggling against flesh and blood, who are we struggling against? Well, it says at the the rest of verse 12, we are struggling against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, that's a lot of descriptions, but it also helps us to understand that the kingdom of darkness, the forces of evil, operate in many different ways. And I know that we are talking about the demon realm. We are talking about Satan and his demons because it says at the end of verse 12, in the heavenly places, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And not only that, but we saw at the beginning of this verse that we're not struggling against flesh and blood. So this is talking about the spiritual war. And the fact that Paul has to list so many different groups, he lists powers and world forces and spiritual forces of wickedness and rulers as well. He wants you to understand just how serious this battle is, just how formidable, just how frightening the enemy is. And just how hopeless we are to be able to stand if we don't strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And so the rulers, that's the idea when we can understand this, rulers, the word by itself can be used for human authorities. But in this case, we know that's not what it's referring to. Spiritual rulers, those who have certain authority. It's also we're battling against the powers. And we understand power to talk about might and strength. That the world forces of this darkness... We remember in Ephesians 2 that we were told that you were once dead in your transgressions and sins in which you followed after the prince of the power of the air and after the course of this world. These are world forces and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But let me further clarify this even more. Because as we look at verses 11 and 12 specifically, We remember that at the end of verse 11, we were told that we are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And why are we to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? Because our struggle is against rulers and powers and world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What am I trying to tell you here? I'm trying to tell you here that by standing firm against Satan, you're not just standing firm against him. The spiritual war is not just against Satan. The spiritual war is against the entire kingdom of darkness that is aligned against you. Satan uses demons for his purposes. And so anywhere you go into the Bible where you see the activity of evil spirits, make no mistake, they are following after the prince of the power of the air. They are working together with Satan. Their goal is to throw you off track to throw you off your walk. If you're an unbeliever, their goal is to keep you in unbelief. You know what? They don't care if you're religious. You can choose any religion you want. Just don't put your faith into Jesus Christ alone. And if you are a believer, they want to tempt you. They want to tempt you to anger, anxiousness, pride, unforgiveness. The same list that we saw that applied to Satan. They want you thinking about yourself. They want you to get caught up in worldliness. And folks, there is a lot of worldliness. And so worldliness is yet one of those ways in which we are tempted to not think about God. In fact, that's what happened in the Old Testament when Old Testament Israel became prosperous. They were warned. They were warned, when you are prosperous, do not forsake your God. Do not start to think that this is because of your wisdom, because of your strength, because of your abilities that you have become prosperous, but recognize it is the Lord. And even Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in this world not to put their hopes, not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, not to put their hopes in their riches, but rather upon God. Some of you are more prosperous than others. Some of you are struggling more than others. But whether you have little or whether you have much, we know that we can find contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are prosperous, for those of us who have more, remember to put your hope into Christ and not upon that wealth. 
And we as a church, we want to gather around each other. We want to be able to support each other in each other's needs. That's why we've also asked you guys if during this crisis, during this economic hardship, if you are having difficulty, please come to us. Let us know. And I've already seen many ways in which this church has rallied around the needs of others, and I've been very encouraged by that. That is what the church is about. But just as we look back again at verse 12, there are so many ways that the kingdom of darkness seeks to throw us off track, to not trust in God, to not believe God, to start relying upon our own strength, to start taking pride in ourselves, to start thinking that there is something outside of the scriptures that we need in order to live a life that glorifies God. But yet we know this is all we need right here. The scriptures are fully sufficient. Your goal should be to hear what I say and to measure it against what the Word says. This is the spiritual war, and we need to know the will of God in order to engage. But let me show you some passages that help to emphasize these spirits of evil, because we've seen this just in Ephesians. Now, I recognize I've been going slowly through the book of Ephesians, and especially in this passage about spiritual warfare. Last week, I took you through 10 passages about the schemes of Satan. But the reason why I am going slow and taking you through so many passages, sometimes there are portions of Scripture where it's good enough for me to tell you what it says, and then we can move on. And there are certain portions of Scripture which I think are so important that I don't just want to tell you what it says, but I want to show you in Scripture all the ways in which it is important. And when it comes to the spiritual war, This is exactly why I am taking you through so many passages. When we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, Paul was talking about the power that's made available to us as believers in verses 18 and 19. And this power that he made available to us, he said, is the same power which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, and verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That part of verse 21 that talks about all rule and authority and power and dominion is to say that God has placed Jesus Christ above all spiritual forces, including and especially spiritual forces of darkness. He has authority even over the kingdom of evil. So we saw that in Ephesians chapter 1. But we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. That's the worldliness. But according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The kingdom of darkness is working through all this world, especially those who are unbelievers. But it is also working through these systems to tempt us, to take our focus off of God, to tempt us to make idols out of something else rather than worshiping God Himself. And certainly in this country, there is no shortage of idols. There are people who make an idol out of academia. There are people who make an idol even out of being atheistic. They don't realize it, but they put themselves on the throne, those who are atheists. There are people that worship wealth and money, and that is not hard to see. Fame and fortune, just look at Hollywood and all that they do, and which, by the way, that is part of the spiritual war as well. It is incredible to me that our society turns celebrities and athletes and TV stars and movie stars into our moral examples. Are you kidding me? But that is part of the spiritual war, and that's what happens when we engage ourselves or when we let our kids be overly engaged in media, in movies, in television. They start to think that these people that they see often, these people that that are maybe gifted athletically or gifted in a theatrical sense, that suddenly we think that they know more than what people who know the Word know. That is what is happening in our world. So we see this war around us. We see just how silly and ridiculous it is, but we also see the grip that it has on people in society. And so we have to remember that we once walked in that way, but we were rescued from that. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw this, verses 26 to 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. This was one of the schemes of Satan, but that was right here in Ephesians that letting your anger control you, 
letting your anger get the best of you, letting your anger drive your decisions. And we have seen many examples of how anger has driven people to rioting, to looting, arson, to violence, even murder. We don't want to let your anger drive you because when your anger drives you, you give the devil an opportunity and we can look around the world and see that that's exactly what he is doing. And then later in Ephesians chapter 4, we were even told about the Holy Spirit. Verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed forth from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. But verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So in other words, the unwholesome words from your mouth, the things that you say, when you say angry and negative and hateful things towards someone else, you are grieving the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit who is supposed to be strengthening you in this spiritual war. Because when we remember that the spiritual war is spiritual, that it is not flesh and blood, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God through the Holy Spirit working in us. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul said this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with, and I would argue by, be filled by the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, that is dissipation. In other words, do not let your mental faculties to be less than optimal. When we start to engage in the kinds of activities where we're not functioning mentally, we become an easy target for Satan. But when we are alert, that is when we can be filled by the Spirit. And that is exactly how we are strengthened for battle. Let me show you 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In this case, Paul doesn't talk about Satan. He talks about demons. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says this, But the Spirit, and he is talking about the Holy Spirit there, the Spirit explicitly says, that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. That's a scary thing. You don't want to fall away from the faith. But I would also add, I don't have it up there, but 1 John 2.19, you can write that down. 1 John 2.19 essentially tells us that those who are not walking with God were never of God to begin with. And so those who fall away, I can assure you, that doesn't mean you can lose your salvation but that those who fell away didn't have that salvation to begin with. But the Spirit explicitly says in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The kind of teachings that's going to take you away from believing in Christianity. The kind of teachings that's going to take you away from trusting in the Bible is described here as doctrines of demons. And I was just having a conversation earlier this week with Mike Shelton. And he was mentioning how he saw some video of university professors. And by the way, universities are centers of indoctrination to turn people away from God. He said he was listening to a university professor, and this university professor had said something to the effect of, if you give me someone who has been homeschooled and is a Christian, give me two months and I will turn that person into an atheist. That is a tragic statement, but it also reflects his confidence in how easy it is to turn someone away from what the Bible teaches. And that's why you as parents at home, you need to make sure that you are continuing to minister to your child, not just in terms of their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. Help them to understand the need for Jesus Christ. Help them to understand that this word, this word of God has greater authority than anything that they will be exposed to in this world. Help them to understand that the world is against God. And everywhere they go, they are going to be exposed to people who are seeking to tell them that God is not real. Or that the God of the Bible is not real. Or the Bible itself is simply man-made. It's the doctrine of demons that throws people off track. And it actually exposes those who never had true belief. But you want to be able to sure, make sure that your children understand what's coming. And unfortunately, that is the case even not just in universities, but even in high schools. My heart is grieved over these teacher unions who have set up their requirements for returning back to school. 
and it has nothing to do with the welfare of the children. And it has everything to do with their own personal social activism, which should have nothing to do with their jobs. All the while, the, they continue to get paid while they stay on strike. And I'm not saying that's true for everyone because certainly there are some really good teachers out there. We have some here in this congregation right now. But more and more people are going into that profession, unfortunately, supporting the idea that we need to indoctrinate our children towards the doctrines of demons. And then even in the book of James, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, we read, Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, and he's talking about the wisdom that leads to the bitterness and jealousy and the selfish ambition, this kind of wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So I want you to understand that the schemes of Satan are not just limited to the examples that we have in Scripture. But the schemes of Satan extend to all the activity of the demonic realm, the forces of darkness that seek to take our eyes off of God, to believe that which is false, to even encourage others not to believe in the truth. And unfortunately, it breaks my heart to look at the church today and see that many churches are embracing the kind of ideas that go counter to what the Bible say. You know, if you ever go into a new area, if you ever move into a new place, if you ever move into a new city, I understand that people have to move around. Our, we go through different stages of life. Our priorities change. We go to different places. But let me tell you this, that wherever you go, your number one priority, in my opinion, should be to find a good church. Make sure you find a good Bible-believing church and not one who is not teaching the Scriptures. I just saw a poll this past week that one-third of those claiming to be evangelical, one-third, one-third do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. What? One-third of those who claim to be evangelicals do not believe Jesus Christ is God? You know why that's happening? Because the Word of God is not being proclaimed. The Word of God is not being heard. The Word of God is not being studied. This is our greatest protection against the forces of darkness. And just as an example... 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul. This is a well-known story among many of you, but let me tie this together with Satan and demons and show you that we can see the schemes of Satan just in this one verse. But we also see the sovereignty of God just in this one verse. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul says this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and what does he mean by that? Well, in the prior verses, he was sharing these revelations that he had about heaven. And he had received a lot of revelations, not only about heaven, but revelations that led him to write all the books that he ended up writing, all the letters that he ended up writing. But he said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, and he actually lists multiple reasons, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. And what is this thorn of the flesh? He says it is a messenger of Satan. It's not Satan himself. It's a messenger of Satan. Someone doing the bidding of Satan. A messenger of Satan to torment me. So that messenger came to Paul in order to torment him. And why was Paul tormented? Well, Paul would have been tormented for many of the reasons that we already saw. Because when we get tormented, we are tempted not to trust God. When we are tormented, we are tempted to anxiety and anger. We are tempted to unforgiveness. We are tempted to think that maybe God doesn't love us. Maybe there's something else I need. We're tempted to maybe even question our own salvation. But here Paul is saying that while this messenger of Satan, his purpose was to torment him, God's purpose in sending that messenger was to keep him from exalting himself. And so one of the great confidences you can take is that while the forces of darkness may be working against us in many ways, 
recognize that God is sovereign. He is totally in control of all that is happening, and He is going to bring about His good purposes in you through that trial. But you have to trust Him. You have to trust Him. It's like the example that we have from the book of Job. And I've mentioned this before as well, but Satan actually asked for permission from God to torment Job. And Job never knew the reason why this was happening. And you know what? God never gave him the reason. At the end of the book of Job, when Job finally gets his day before God, when he finally gets to speak to God, what does God tell him? God simply tells him that I am the creator, you are not. So tell me, what do you know, Job? And Job repented in ashes and dust. And we know that that torment came upon him, not because of any sins that he had committed, but because of his righteousness. But God was glorified in the life of Job. God was glorified in the fact that no matter what trials he faced, no matter what Satan brought upon him, he refused to curse God. And that is the temptation many of us have today when we go through difficulties. That is the temptation many of us go today when we see our loved ones in pain, when we are in pain, when we lose people who are very close to us. But we have to cling to God, cling to His purposes, cling to the truth that God is in total control and that He will bring about His ultimate victory. Because what we are promised is that heaven is not going to come here in this life. Heaven is coming in the next life when, after we are resurrected. And even in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, as we consider the spiritual nature of this war, we're also reminded of these spiritual blessings given to us. So as Paul told us to be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of His might, we're reminded even at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that Paul opened up the first major section of this book by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing God has given to us. Some of those blessings we will not see until we're in heaven, but some of those blessings are already given to us by the Holy Spirit. And in this spiritual war, in this spiritual war in which we're going to be attacked from all sides, in which we are called to take the full armor of God and to stand firm. We have to remember that we have been given every spiritual blessing by God in order to stand firm and to resist the schemes of the devil. So we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then even in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, God reminds us of His mercy and His grace. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? You see, Jesus Christ, He died, He was resurrected, He ascended up into heaven, and He is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But what this is saying is that Jesus Christ was not only raised, He was not only ascended, He was not only seated at the right hand, but we are there with Him. We are in union with Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our head, we are His body. Jesus Christ is directing the church even now through His Word. And even now as He is at the right hand of God, He is interceding for you day and night. He is praying for you. He is making sure that you have what you need. But that brings us to verse 13. Verse 13 is really kind of the summation that Paul has of verses 10 through 12. And I've gone through this slowly because I want you to see just how serious this command is. Just how serious the spiritual war is. And here Paul says, therefore... It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. And this idea of take up is this idea of a warrior getting ready for battle, picking up what he needs to rush into battle. Take up the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist. You will be able to resist. And this idea of resistance is almost like making yourself into a wall that forces are coming against you, and you're not going to allow those strong forces to push you off your path. It's the same idea of standing firm, which he will 
repeat again, but that you will be able to resist. You see, we're not called to go and actually fight the spiritual forces of darkness. You're not called to go out and exercise demons. You're not called to go out and say that by the power of God, I am going to fight against Satan. No, you're not called to do that. What you are called to do is to resist his attacks, to defend against his attacks. And I think about God, how we often refer to him as our refuge, as our fortress, right? He's the one who's going to protect us. But we must take up the full armor of God so that we will be able to resist make ourselves resistant to the power that is coming against us. But it says to resist in the evil day. In the evil day. Now, what is that evil day? Well, there's been a lot of discussions with Christian academics and scholars who have studied this passage. There have been a lot of discussions, but let me put it this way. We saw earlier in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, we saw a reference to days being evil. And as you can see there, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, let me just reread that. Therefore, be careful how you walk. In other words, be careful how you live, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are what? Evil. The days are evil. Now, what Paul meant when he said that was that these present times are filled with evil. This world follows after the prince of the power of the air, after the course of this world. Everything that this world is designed to do is to turn people away from God and to follow after evil. And so the days are evil, which means that this present time that we live in are evil. This age is evil, and it will continue to be evil until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And until the eternal state that is set up, that is when we will be completely freed of all the taint of sin and evil. But when we look back at chapter 6, verse 13, it says, in the evil day. So previously, he talked about how the days are evil. And here he says, in the evil day. Well, is that referring to a specific day? Well, yes. And I would say it is both true that it's going to be in this time before our Lord returns, but there are also going to be specific days in which you're going to feel the attack. You're going to feel the spiritual attack against you. Your character might be, might be maligned. In fact, I just heard recently someone in our own church has been slandered against in a very, very serious way. You may go through physical trials. You may be looking at the news and recognizing just as you are building up hope that we could reopen, that our own governor basically made it impossible for us ever to reopen. These are the kinds of things that are happening in the world that could tempt you to anger, anxiety, and even possibly causing you to curse God. So many people, so many of us can look at the situation and say, how can God let this happen? Why would God let our nation be turned over to such evil and violence? And you can write this down for your own study, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Why do I point out those passages? Because those verses are playing out right before our eyes right now. And that's the idea that God is handing people over to a depraved mind. God is handing people over to their sin. You see, what's happening in the world, what's happening in this country, it's not happening because the church has failed to get involved enough with social matters. It has happened because the church has neglected her first love. The church has gone away from trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God. And so for us to be able to withstand, to be able to stand firm, even as God continues to hand people over to a depraved mind, into greater sin, our call now is to stand firm. Our call now is to resist. Our call now is even as we are being afflicted, even as we feel like we are being tormented, even as we feel like we're being tempted to anger and anxiety, even as we are being tempted to not believe God, we must double down, stand even more firm, and recognize that God is in total control. And we've had many of those evil days this year, many of them. In fact, I would say that for the church of Jesus Christ in this country, this year has done a lot to reveal who truly trusts in the Lord and who does not. So when you start to see people in the church turning away, 
when you start to see people in the church taking their focus upon what the Bible says, it's because of these evil times that they're being revealed. And for the rest of us, we must continue to stay faithful. But the end of verse 13 reads this, and having done everything, having done everything, and this idea of doing, this is action, this is accomplishment, that everything that you have done, everything that you're being commanded to do, and certainly in this immediate passage, this is about the full armor of God, doing everything with regards to the armor of God. And we're going to find out in more detail what that means from verses 14 all the way to verse 20 in future weeks. But this idea is having done everything, you are to do everything you can to stand firm. But remember, this is about the way God strengthens you. You don't need to get clever about how you're going to stand firm. You don't need to start researching other texts, other books, other sources of wisdom. You only need to know God's will in the Bible. And there have been a lot of videos that I've seen passed around. Every once in a while, they get passed on to me about some supposed prophet who has this vision for the rest of the year, has this vision about next year, or this vision about what's going on. And the idea, if you listen to that message, is this idea is that the Bible is not enough. You need to hear my visions. Let me tell you, that is also another temptation. Because if God has not revealed it to us in the scriptures, then it's not something that is absolutely needed for us to walk in godliness. We just need to hold firm to the scriptures. So we must do everything, and having done everything, to stand firm. And in this passage, that word is repeated over and over again, so it is a very important reminder to us. But let me close with this warning and encouragement. Because in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32, Jesus addresses Peter. He's also known as Simon, Simon Peter. Verse 31, Jesus said this to Peter, and this falls right in line with everything that we've been studying. He says this in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. That is a scary demand. And Satan wants to do that because of the role that Peter is going to play in the kingdom because of his role as a disciple of Christ, because of his role on the day of Pentecost and how he will be used to help start the church. But Satan continues to do that even today. Revelation tells us that Satan accuses the saints day and night. I want to say that's chapter 12, verse 9. Day and night he accuses us. He is trying to sift you like wheat, just as he tried to torment the apostle Paul just as he tried to tempt Jesus Christ away from the cross. This is Satan's work, and he's trying to take you away from the purpose that God has created for you. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But here's the encouragement, verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, will strengthen your brothers. Jesus Christ, one of the ministries that he continues to have today at the right hand of God. And you can find this in Psalm 110, verse 4. He is a priest in the order of Melchizedek forever. He is interceding for you day and night. And you can find that in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is continuing to strengthen you. He's continuing to intercede for you. But you also must take responsibility to recognize the war and to resist the temptations of this world. And there are so many ways that this world tempts us. What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you reading? We can spend so much time online reading news and media reports. We can get so caught up that we start to slander people online. When we could have been using that time to meditate upon the word. We could have been using that time in prayer. We could have been using that time to encourage one another in Christ. Examine your actions. Examine where your hope is. Because this is your opportunity to put on the armor of God, to be strengthened by the Lord and in the strength of His might. And for those of you who are here this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom we seek our strength from, let me assure you that up until now, you have been used by the forces of darkness. Your rebellion against God has been used by Satan as a part of his grand scheme for the entire world. But the Lord Jesus Christ came as an expression of God's love. John 3.16 says, so God, For so God loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that he who believes in him will not perish, but have life everlasting. And so the good news for you is that while you have been used by Satan up until now, let me assure you that Jesus Christ, when he came, he came as God in human flesh. And he went to the cross. And he went to the cross in order to pay for the sins that you deserved and the sins that I deserved. And the beauty about that price that he paid is that if you would repent of your sins and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, then that penalty that he paid on the cross will cover all of your sins before God. Because all of us will stand before God, and if you have not confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be deemed guilty for your sins of rebellion against him. But to be saved requires no work of your own. It's to repent. If you feel this conviction, you are simply called to repent, turn away from your prior way of living, and turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a follower, you become a part of his church. You are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have a new heart. You are able to understand and receive the wisdom of God, and you can stand firm against the schemes of Satan. But even more importantly, you will have a hope that will last for all eternity. You will be able to dwell in peace with God and all of his saints. And that is the greatest place to be, ladies and gentlemen. That is where our real hope is. So do not neglect the opportunity that you have to be able to repent and turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions, you can come and talk to me, or you can email the church, or talk to someone around you. Be more than happy to help you. And for the rest of us, as we come to the end of this opening section, which is the call to battle, hopefully you understand just how serious this battle really is. Hopefully you understand that to engage this spiritual war is not physical, but it's going to be mental. It's what you understand from the Word. It's how you discipline yourself. It's how you are strengthened by the Lord. And it starts right here and right now, recognizing the schemes of Satan and the forces of darkness and recognizing that we can have victory in God if we trust in Him. Let us pray.